0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gold Preach, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Man, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I had an experience this week. On Thursday, I officiated a funeral for um, a a friend of mine's father. And at the end of the funeral, I was uh, just hanging out, talking with some of the family. And the, the grandfather pulled me aside and he said, You see that right here? This is my family's plot. He said, You know, there's a little bit of concern when I did this but uh, that one right there is my wife. She died several years ago. And that there, the name is mine. And my, my family's given me grief because I went ahead and put my name on and my birth date and the only thing left to fill out is my death date. He said, uh, is that strange? I said, no, actually, I think it's very sobering and I think it's probably a good thing for all of us to do. I had in fact already noticed that and was pondering the meaning of that and what so, so noticeably struck me was the fact that there was a recognition that he had been born and now he was waiting to die. Not just waiting to die, but there was a recognition that he was going to die. And to me that brings about the need to recognize the urgency of life. I had the strange thought, in, in kind of in that same, my, my brain thinks about these things, and they just kind of go down the rabbit hole, and they keep going and going and going. But I thought to myself, what if we actually had a contract with God that was a year contract? I mean, what if we signed a contract on January 1st, and God said, okay, you have 365 days, and on January 1st of the next year, we'd have to renew that contract, and in the business world, that contract would be, would be renewed based on whether or not you performed the duties of the contract, wouldn't it? Aren't we glad God doesn't do that to us? Aren't we glad that God doesn't say, I'm going to decide whether or not to give you another breath in 2022 based on what you did with your breath in 2021? I'm glad that God doesn't work that way. And the reality is, none of us have even one more breath. The next breath you take might be your last. Why is that important? Because the Bible tells us that we're to make the most of every opportunity knowing that the days are evil. In other words, the the, the minutes that we have, the seconds that we have, each breath that we have is a gift from God. And my question to you is a very direct question. What are you going to do with your breath? The smart aleck in me is, I'm going to knock people over with it, it's so bad. (laughs) What are you going to do with your breath? Why do you have breath? Why is your heart still beating? You know, if you ask somebody, what's the most important accomplishment you could have in your life, their answers will range from one extreme to another. Some who are not spiritually minded will probably say, my goal is to have the most toys, My goal is to have the most fun. That's the hedonistic view of it. Some might say my goal is to be a good person. That's the humanist view of it. Some might say my goal is just to make a difference. Okay, how do you want to make a difference? I don't know. I just want to make a mark. Okay, how do you want to make a mark? I don't know. I just want to. Can I tell you that there's one goal that is greater than any other goal ever given to you and to me? It is the one thing that God has given to us as the most important thing. And that is to reconcile men and women to God. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, it says, we have been reconciled to God And because of that, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that that God would call others to himself. And we are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his own appeal through our own lips. Wow. Isn't that awesome? When's the last time you reconciled someone to God? When's the last time you thought about reconciling someone to God? When's the last time you laid your head at bed at night and said, this day was all for me and nothing for God? You know, the danger in this message is that we might think that the the goal is actually a means to an end. Or excuse me, that, 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 the, that the goal of sharing the gospel is actually the end. That's not the end. It's just a means to the end. The means to the end, the gospel that we share, is for an end, not of people being saved, but that the name of Jesus is glorified. God's ultimate purpose in sending his son, son into the world was that the son would glorify the father. The way the son glorified the father was to draw people to himself. See, sometimes we make people the goal, but people is not the goal, God is the goal. We share our faith not because we want to see people saved. Yes, we want to see them saved, but we share our faith because it's what brings God the most glory. When you tell God's story, the ears of God the Father perk up. Say, that's my boy. That's my girl. Yes, I gotta be honest, I, I'm, not, I'm not real big on uh, 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 people, um, I say I'm not big, that didn't sound right. When people say, man, that was a good job, to me, I mean, it's great, I love it, I, I, it encourages me, but you know what I like to hear more than anything else? I like to be walking by a conversation and hear them saying it to someone else. You know what I'm talking about? When somebody's bragging on you to somebody else, does that make you feel Better? It does, doesn't it? Why? Because it's this, I mean, if they tell you what a good job you did, that's cool. But when they tell somebody else what a good job you did, that's like they are super impressed, right? What do you think happens to the heart of God when his children are saying, I've got to tell you about my father? Let me tell you what my God has done for me. Let me tell you about how worthy my father is. And I really, really, really want you to know him. See, what needs to happen in our hearts is an urgency. We need to have something that rises up inside of us that says, you have one purpose. You have one mission. That mission is to make the Father known. That's what brings him the most glory. Your greatest worship you could ever give God is not what you sing. It's what you say about Jesus. That's the greatest act of worship you could ever possibly give to God. The heavens declare his praises, how much more should his children declare his praises? So at this point, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if people are moved to the point of wanting to just do something, but see, that's not really the right response. I know that I could emotionally get you to feel excited about sharing the gospel, but the problem with that is if you feel like it and it's an emotional response, then you're probably not going to do it very long, because we've all done that, right? We've left church at some point, or we left a service, or we left a YouTube, whatever, and we're like, yes, 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 we, soon, we step out, we're like, what was I doing again? How many of you anybody besides me? I do that when I go to a room in the house. Like, I will leave one room, and in a matter of 10 steps, I'll go, so what, what, what was I doing again? You ever done that? They say it's old age, but I think it's just absent-minded because of... <laughs> what, if, what if we woke up every day and we didn't have to be motivated, but we just recognized that that's who we were? Like I get up in the morning and I don't have to be motivated to eat. Does anybody... I get up in the morning, I do not have to be motivated to get a cup of coffee. Not motivated at all. I can be totally unmotivated, I'm still going to get coffee. Why? Because I really like coffee. Amen? Amen. Because coffee's good for you. And studies say that the people who drink coffee are healthier people. There is a study somewhere that says that, I promise. (laughs) So, I don't have to feel like it. I just do it. Why? Because it's a part of what I do. What if the gospel message was just part of what we did? In fact, what if it wasn't just part of what we did? What if we really recognized it was our very reason for existing? You say, Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Good, because that's not required. You know what's required? Have you been born again? If God has reconciled you to himself, he has therefore made you, given you the ministry of reconciliation. Now what's reconcile mean? To reconcile means that you make right. Now we don't do this anymore because we don't have checkbooks anymore. For those of you, you who are under 20, a checkbook is this, this money that's in a booklet. It's really cool. You have a booklet that the bank gives you. You can just do any amount you want. One million dollars. One million dollars boom it's right there it's the most amazing money on the planet here's the problem when i write a check whoever i write that check to takes it to the bank that's these this these buildings over here that just and when they go to the bank they say this has been promised to me and the bank says okay let me check the balance to see if they can pay the debt that they owe they go to the, my, my account, and they say, he doesn't have enough funds to cover it. Which at that point, I've written a bad check. To reconcile the account means to make the account right, to make the numbers work, to, to, means that what I've promised is what is given. And then I'm making sure that what has been done is accurate and correct. That's to reconcile. God has been in the business of reconciling the world to himself since day one. Why? Because Adam, since day a few, decided to rebel against God and he thought he could do it all on his own. And Eve, of course, was in the same position. And since that moment, God has been chasing after mankind to reconcile them unto himself. And everyone that he reconciles, he takes and he says, you were made to look like me, but you don't any longer look like me in a lot of ways. So I'm going to take away the stuff that looks like you, and I'm going to rebuild you to look like me. That's what's called sanctification. And then in, 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 at a, some future time, you are going to be complete, and you are going to be perfect. You are going to be glorified. That's glorification. Glorification. And one day I'm going to bring you to be with me. And all of this mess that you deal with on the earth is going to be gone. And it'll be you and me in the relationship that we were made to have in the very first place. You know, I wish I had time to tell you all of the stories. I get so excited about stories. I just, I love stories. I think stories are the greatest ever And the best stories ever are the stories of people who have been reconciled to God and their life is different, not perfect, not sinless, not not without cracks and crevices, but it's the ones who have scars and they're like, let me show you my scar. Because you know what? Scars speak a whole lot more powerfully than trophies. You wanna show me your trophies or your scars? Show me your scars. Because everybody gets a trophy. Scars. That means you went through something and you lived. You were a victor. You persevered. It didn't kill you. One particular story I read this week was of a person who was abused in every possible way, a person whose life was meaningless, a person who literally was just used and there was no reason to exist. And a friend at work said, hey, will you go to church with me? By this time, this person's life had been just brutalized. No human being should have been forced to endure what they have endured. It is a shame. It, is, it, it breaks my heart to know that this kind of stuff could happen to anybody. And yet one day at work, a woman said to my friend, hey, would you go to church with me? And the response was, you, I'm not the church type. Do you know who I am? You, your church doesn't do people like me. And over the period of the next several weeks or whatever, the invitation continued and at one weak moment, this person said, okay, fine, I'll go to your stupid church. I don't know if they said stupid church, but that's probably what they're thinking. They went to this church and what they found was a collection of bruised and broken people who had been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and their love was the first time that my friend had ever experienced real Love. And over the course of weeks, my friend trusted in Jesus Christ, heard the message of the gospel, not for the first time, but for the first time there was belief. And today, my friend is is stealing people from the pit of hell for the name of Jesus not just kind of reconciled, not just kind of worked it out, but we're talking if you put the two people side by side, you would never be able to tell that one came from another. Totally, completely, radically changed. And that happens every single day all over the world. Morning and evening and noontime. Why? Because the book of Romans tells us that I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Do you believe that? If you could do one thing in life, if you had to leave one legacy, what legacy will you leave? What is gonna be your calling card when we stand around your casket and we say, hey, tell us about this man or tell us about this woman who's lying here, what stories will they tell? You know what stories, I I want people to say, I'm here because that man loved Jesus. I'm right with God because that man loved Jesus. My family is together because that man loved Jesus. What better stories would there be? If if people say, man, he could sure fish, that'd be a shame. That'd be a wasted life. He could sure tell a funny joke. Even though that might be incredibly true, that'd be a, a terrible, terrible waste. One thing I know, that man would not shut up about Jesus. Can you... Dream that about yourself. In Romans chapter 10, the author is writing and he's saying, brothers, my heart's desire, verse one, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, he's talking about the Jews, is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. What the author is saying here is this He's saying, My heart's desire, the urgency of my soul, is that for these people who have a zeal for God, but they don't know God, they're walking in darkness. And because they don't know God, they've tried to create a a, a way for them to have meaning and purpose in life. They've tried to find themselves a a way to God by just rationalizing or reasoning in a way. And, And his heart was broken because the way to God was so simple. He says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. That is a hard way to live. What is the law? The law is a schoolmaster. The law tells us of the holiness of God. What the law does is remind us that God is perfect and we are not. And so all throughout the Old Testament, the law is a, is a, is a herald of how separated we are from God. Because even when we fulfill the law, we can't fully fulfill the law. Even when we offer sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats is not enough to forgive us of our sin. Because we are so far away from the holiness of God that nothing we do can make us right. Nothing we do will reconcile us to himself. And so the whole story here is this. That God has been about the work of reconciling the world to himself, but that work is not a work of actions as much as it is a work of faith. By grace that you are saved through faith, not of works. All of the works you do are either dead works, which means they're just works apart from faith, and they literally accomplish nothing, absolutely nothing. I don't know if you've ever changed the part in a car that you thought was going to fix the car, only to spend a lot of money and a lot of time, and then the car still won't start. You ever done that? That's like a dead work. All the effort, all the money, all the broken and bloody knuckles, and it still doesn't work. That's what dead works are all about. But apart from the law, there is a righteousness, what the scripture says. And the righteousness means we are made right with God, means God doesn't hold our sin against us. It means that he has thrown our offense as far as the east is from the west. And we are brought into an equal, not equal, but we are brought into the presence of a holy, awesome, mighty God. And that presence is only found through faith. A righteousness that comes apart from the law. It's a righteousness that is by faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man. That man is Christ Jesus. So only through Jesus Christ. And if you look at a cross, I always think about when Jesus stretches out his arms. He's grabbing the Father's hand in one. And he's grabbing our hand in the other. And he's the bridge between us. And we know God the Father because of Jesus Christ in between and so the righteousness that comes by faith comes because you and i and others throughout the ages of history have heard a message and that message has made sense and we've chosen to believe the message do you know what the word gospel means the word gospel literally means the good news euangelion now you know a little greek he runs a little rest. kid. No, just kidding. The good news. That's what the gospel is. Good news. By the way, it's also uh, the same word. is tied to the word messenger. Idea of an angelic messenger. The good news of the gospel. That God is not mad at you. That God does not hate you. That God is not satisfied with you being separated from him. No, he has done everything necessary for you to be reconciled back to himself. He's even chased after you. He's called your name. He's running to you. He's searching for you. And all you have to do is by faith accept his grace. You say it's so easy. Why don't we all just do it? That's a great question. But how many of you know somebody who's heard the gospel and yet boldly rejects it? You know why that is? Because of pride. The only thing that keeps us from Jesus ultimately is pride. That's the bottom line. It's the sin of all sins. Pride says, I don't need God. Or pride says, I haven't earned God. Or pride says, I don't deserve God. Or pride says, I don't want God. All of those things are rooted in pride. Pride is me. And Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. And so, where we are today is this, verse 14. Actually, let, let's go back up. I wanna finish the rest of it. Uh, in verse, um, I don't know if you've ever had this, but my right eye is having a fight with my contact. They're duking it out right now, and it's like my contact wants to stay in, but my I, I don't know. It's, it's really difficult, so I'm trying to read. It's a little blurry. Bear with me. If you confess with your mouth, verse nine, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation now the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him verse 13 for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved that word saved is such a great word you could substitute the word rescued rescued You could substitute the word searched out and found. And if you look at all the biblical stories, you find this everywhere. Where are we supposed to find the lost? The highways and the byways. Jesus talks about a a great banquet and the the guests are invited, but they refuse to come in. And so he tells tells his servants, go out and just get everyone you can. Get the ones who are not invited and invite them and bring them in. It tells us of a heart of God who wants the world to be reconciled to himself. In Acts chapter 17, the Bible tells us that God is not willing that anyone would perish. That he wants all people to hear the gospel So why aren't people receiving the gospel? Why are there thousands upon hundreds of thousands into the millions of people in our own country? Why in our own city is there such a vast lostness? You might say that everybody's had a chance to hear, but just this morning, standing over First Baptist Church, one of our members told me that their neighbor's daughter was in their house recently and said to their granddaughter, hey, what's that? And the granddaughter said, "Oh, that's my Bible. The next question from the neighbor was, what's a Bible? We're talking three blocks down the road. And then the brother came over. And it was during Christmas time, and something was said about Jesus. So there were some Christmas carols being sung about Jesus. And the son, the, the, the young boy, said to his dad, Who's Jesus? As if he'd never heard the name before. Folks, it's not that everybody knows. No, not everybody does know. And it's not just that nobody wants to believe. Do you want to know the biggest obstacle for the gospel in our own city? It's you and it's me. It's when we're living half in and half out of the gospel, we're kind of like, you know, I'm a little bit Jesus and a little bit me. I, I, like, the, I like the the shirt. I probably can't say it correctly. Um, it's, it's kind of funny, actually, if you think about it. Something to the effect of I'm part hood and I'm part Jesus. So I'm going to forgive you, but don't test me. Something to that effect. (laughs) In in other words, push me, but don't push me much. We joke about that, but in real life, I think Leanne, I think that was the shirt you showed me. (laughs) In real life though, when we are kind of straddling the fence, That harms the gospel. It really does. You can't be just kind of. Just be in or out. But you know what's even more than that? It's those of us who worship every Sunday. It's those of us who say Jesus is Lord. It's those of us who do read our Bibles and we do pray and yet on a daily basis we won't open our mouths. Listen to what the scripture tells us. Verse 14, but how can they call on him who have not belie- they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But all did not obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. We've heard it before. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I submit to you that the biggest obstacle of the gospel in our own city is not that people just refuse to believe, it's that we are not telling the story. That's the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest hindrance to the gospel. What if we change that? So um, I've I've mentioned it before and I wanna wanna jump into it now. I've, I've laid briefly, very quickly, a theological foundation of why. Now let me give you the how. And I got to be honest with you, this is going to be like opening a fire hose, and it's impossible. But what if we shot to see, shot, what if our goal was to see a thousand people come to faith in Christ by January 1st, 2022? First off, have you ever seen a thousand people come to faith in Christ in your entire lifetime? Has any church you've ever been a part of seen a thousand people come to faith in Christ in their entire lifetime? The average church has a negative number of new believers each year. Let me say that differently. The average church is not growing and it's not just plateau but it's actually declining because less people are trusting Christ than the number of people dying If you looked at the actual reported numbers, well over a half of the churches, well over a half of the churches did not see one single person come to faith in Jesus Christ this whole last year. That's a fact, Jack. How can we be a church and that be the case? You say, well, I'm not, I, I can't make anybody trust Jesus. You're absolutely right, and I'm glad you brought that point up, because that is absolutely true. We have no control over whether or not somebody believes the message. Our part is to tell the message. See, there's no fault if somebody doesn't believe, but there is fault if we are derelict in our responsibility. You say, but, but that's somebody else's job, that's not my job. But, but what about what the Bible says? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. His call to the disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This whole week I've had this story in the background of my heart and I've, I, I, I've just been processing it and it's the idea of, or it's the story where Jesus um, goes out and he sees the fishermen and they're, they're actually back on the shore washing their nets and they've got nothing in the coolers. Now, if you're a fisherman, you understand that you can go a couple times and not catch anything, but if you go more than a couple times, it really gets angry, uh, irritating. I mean, the reason you fish is to catch fish, right? Those people who say, I just, I just want to fish for fun. Pfft, no, you're fishing for fish, right? <laughs> Maybe they're holier than I, but me, I, no, I want to catch fish every single time. I am never truly satisfied just going to fish, Oh, I just want to throw a hook in the water. No, I want to catch a fish. The disciples were back on the shore. They were cleaning their nets and Jesus, so uh, how'd y'all do? (sighs) If they were typical fishermen, they were cussing at this point. Like oh, I can't believe it, man. We tried we tried the mirror lure, we tried the special sauce, we tried, oh, we tried changing tackle, we tried everything. Now they of course were using nets, but they were going, man, we just we're just trying everything. Nothing. Throw out on the other side. We've been fishing all night. Who wants to go back again? But you wanna catch fish? Throw out on the other side. Okay. Caught so many fish. 253, to be exact. It was breaking the nets. They're like, whoa, call another boat. And Peter jumps in the water, swims back. I know who you are. And this story is, is and, and I've kind of conflated some of the stories together, but th- this, this whole idea that we can fish all day long and catch nothing and Jesus can say, I know where the fish are. If you'll just do what I say, I, I, you can catch fish. I believe that a 1,000 souls is possible. And even if it's not, I believe it's worth a try. You say, well, how can you put a number on souls? I mean, isn't that kind of presumptuous? Well, I would say not as long as you recognize that that's just a goal, and it's not like we're checking them off and once we get 100, we're done, and it's not like if we don't get 100, we go, oh, we failed, sell the building. But you know, what if it just says that we have an urgency and a hunger to see people saved? to see people reconciled to God? What if it's something that causes us to get up in the morning and go, you know what, I made a commitment. I'm gonna do this thing. What if it was just to keep our flesh engaged with our spirit so that when we wake up in the morning, we go, you know what, I've been given one more year to live, maybe, but if I'm on a one-year contract, I've got till January 1st, I'm gonna make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I actually did something. um, It's pretty cool. I found this site. That you can punch in your goal, and it'll tell you every single day what what's left. So, as of right now, or actually, I'll, I'll have to refresh it because this was like an hour ago. Now it, it's close enough. So, as of now, to get to two thousand twenty-two, January first, twenty twenty-two, we have ten months to go, which is forty-seven weeks which is 327 days, which is 7,856 7, hours, which is 471,391 minutes, which is 28,283,485 seconds, 84 seconds, 83 seconds. I won't do that all day. But do you see the point? When you break it down like that, you go, man, time is short. Today there's going to be a game. Did he get in by the way? Do you know? You don't know yet. One of our guys is actually there trying to get in. Daryl. He's he's out, he's probably outside the gate going, "Please help." <laughs> I don't know what his tactic, but knowing Daryl, he's going to get in the game. This game though is a game of the clock. Does anybody know football? Football is a game of the clock, isn't it? You win and lose based on how you manage the clock. What if we managed our clock and said, Lord, we want to see a thousand souls for Jesus. Here's how we're going to do it. Ready? Open the fire hydrant. Just, just, I know this is probably more than We can all comprehend, I can't even comprehend it. In fact, I wonder if it's even crazy enough to try, but we're gonna try it. Here's the plan, here's here's our A game, here's the first line of attack, here's what we're gonna do, right? I'm asking for 100 people to say, I commit, starting this day, to share the gospel with one person a day, until 2022, one person. That means in one month, I will have shared the gospel, me personally, with 30 people. And out of those 30 people, one of them very likely is gonna come to know Jesus. This was actually Kelly Blyler's idea. I thought it was brilliant. If 100 of us made a commitment to tell one person a day about Jesus, and we led one person to Jesus a month, in 10 months, we would have 1,000 people into the kingdom of God. What you think? You're like, that's your plan? That's my plan. Why? Because that was Jesus' plan. That was his plan, seriously. His second, or, or the, the second level is 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 a little bit easier, but but his number one plan, his number one uh, 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 the way he was going to accomplish the gospel spread into the faces of the earth was person to person to person. It's a virus to be caught. Maybe that's bad terminology right now, but that's. But here is the thing: there is a virus out there leading to death. There is also a virus out there leading to life. Ooh, that's good. Come on, you have the virus of the gospel and it spreads. The coronavirus spreads by mouth, right? The Jesus gospel, the virus of the gospel spreads by mouth. How can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless it's preached? How can it be preached unless someone is sent, right? Same thing, one leads to death, one leads to life. 100 people, one person a day, one soul a month is a thousand people. So you say, well, how am I gonna do that? I'll be honest, in my line of work, it's really hard to share the gospel every day with one person. Well know why? I'm with church people a lot. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So you know what I had to do? I had to join the fire department. And I got to go to the to the tackle store. And I have to go to the beach and wander around the different hotels and try to work my way in to talk with the housekeepers. If you know the story, that's that's the reason behind that. That's why we wanted to start a ministry at the hotels for the housekeepers because it's a way that we can share the gospel. I have to insert myself in positions and places to be around lost people. Guess what? Most of you are already there. I envy your opportunity. I envy it. If you work at a place where you're the only Jesus follower, instead of complaining about it, thank God that he has chosen you to be the light in that place. Because when you walk in, it's like somebody flips on the light. And let me tell you, they are seeing your life. They're seeing it. And the way you live might be the only Jesus or the only Bible that they ever read. Here's a song about that. And so how are you gonna do this? Well, you start out with what you have, your own circle of influence. We're gonna get into the details of this another time. This is the general, okay? But you're gonna start thinking strategically every single day when you wake up in the morning, how can today I share the gospel with one person? I know that today I've gotta go to the doctor. I've gotta go have my, my blood pressure and do my annual checkup. So you're thinking to yourself, when I get to the doctor, there's gonna be a nurse. There's gonna be a receptionist. There's gonna be people in the waiting room. There might even be a doctor that shows up. Somewhere in that place today, I'm gonna to try to have a conversation about Jesus. Here's the best part. You really don't even have to start the conversation if you'll pray about it. Dead serious. If you say, Lord, I need, I wanna tell somebody, would you give me the opportunity God's gonna say, "Nah, I just, I just don't think I want to use you today." No, God's gonna go, "You darn skippy, I'm gonna give you." Uh, Maybe He wouldn't say that, but He, He's gonna say, "Yeah, of course, I'm gonna open up a conversation." I had, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a friend of mine about the gospel. And, I, and I've been trying to figure out, how, how do we start this? And the, the clock was ticking. And so I literally just prayed that morning, Lord, I, 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 I'm, I've been stuck so far. I need you to open the gospel conversation. And my friend started the conversation for me. It was perfect. And right there, I was like, that was pretty cool, God. Just jump right in. So here's how you can do it. You can strategically, each and every day, where are you gonna go and how in that situation are you gonna see somebody, talk to somebody, be around somebody, needs the gospel. Two, you can actually do a gospel-purposed lunch. This is my favorite because it involves food. So you can can increase your food budget for for the gospel's sake. Just tell your wife or your husband, listen, we're gonna have to increase my lunch budget because it's about Jesus. Were, hey, don't blame me. Don't be a hater here, but this, this is good, right? Here's what I'm talking about. You talk to a friend. Maybe it's somebody from college that's back in town. Maybe it's somebody that you're friends with on Facebook. Hey, can I take you to lunch today? I'll buy your lunch. I just, I'll just, I just would like for you to let me share with you part of my story. How many people would trade a lunch to listen to your story? What's your, what's your guess? Pretty much everybody, right? And it's not like it's a strange thing because you've said on the beginning of the, the, the lunch, before you ever went to lunch, you said, hey, I will buy your lunch if you'll let me share with you my story. And then while you're at lunch, say, well, I promised I'd buy you lunch. Can I share my story now? Here's what God has done in my life. Here's how I came to know Jesus. Have you met him as well? How cool is that? Or at the end of the day, you go, man, I wasn't around anybody. I was, I was, uh, today, I was, I was in prayer and fasting in a closet all day long. I was around nobody but God. I know what I'll do. Dear Facebook friends, I just wanted to tell you that when I was 15, I came to know Christ. Blah, 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 blah. That's pretty easy, ain't it? By the way, I'd save those for the times that you actually didn't have to. You don't want to use those too much. Actually, use it as much as you want. See, the goal is not to count. The goal is just to be faithful in telling the story, right? You've got neighbors. Hey, you want to come over for uh, barbecue tomorrow? Awesome. While you're sitting around barbecue, say, have I ever told you the most important thing in my life? I mean, we've been neighbors for like 12 years. Have I ever, have I ever told you what's, what's important to me? See, all of these opportunities that you have, one person every day by 2022, that's 1,000 people, folks, plus. So that's our first line of defense. Here's what I want you to do. If you will commit to being a one of the 100, I want you to go to Facebook. I want you to go to the search bar and type in 1,000 souls, O-N-E-T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D-S-O-U-L-S. Don't do the number. You have to type it out. That is a page that I set up for us to have a chance to share our stories. It's a private group. Only those who are asked to be in it will be invited into it. By getting into the group, you're saying, I want to be one of the 100. You're not saying that you're going to be legalistic. Matter of fact, don't do that. Please don't do that. I'm such a loser, I went two days without talking about, no, don't do that, that's not the, you totally missed the point, but in that little group, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, hey, I had an awesome experience today, I was literally riding my bike down the road, and I wrecked, (laughs) and when I wrecked, they had to call the paramedics, and when the paramedics got there, they asked me, why are you smiling, you have a broken femur? And I said to them, I'm smiling because I know that God is present and I know that he's good. In fact, when I was 12, I trusted Christ into my life and my life has never been the same. I've had hope. Boom. That's a story, right? Or it could be this, man, today I totally blew it. I knew God was telling me to share the gospel with the lady who was frying the chicken at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And, I, and I, I, I just, I was so enthralled by the chicken that I chose not to do it. And I sat and I was guilty. And man, I just totally blew it. You think that's ever gonna happen? I could tell you a thousand stories. That's number one. That's our first line of defense. Here's the next level, Okay. The next level is invite people to come worship with you. The person I talked about earlier, her faith in Christ began because she was hanging out with God's people who would love like Jesus. Invite somebody. And if you invite them once and they say no, invite them again because you just never know that you might give them the invitation at just the right time when they're searching for hope. But here's the caveat. If we're going to start inviting people to come worship with us, we need to be a place where people can come worship with us and come in not all fixed up and perfect, all right? We need to be okay if people come in who don't look perfect. Whatever that means to you. We need to be okay with people that don't look like us, think like us, people who have different political views than us, people who have different religious views than us. Nothing would satisfy me more than to have a whole bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses come every Sunday. Or a whole whole bunch of Muslims. Why? Because I believe the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who will believe. How will they believe unless they hear? How will they hear unless somebody preaches to them? How will somebody preach unless they are sent? Bring them. But when they're here, I want you to love without reservation. I want you to open up your arms and say, man, I love you. Okay, maybe that'd be a little weird to somebody at the first time, so don't do it like that. But, but I want you to demonstrate kindness and hospitality and love like never before. Don't be fake on it, because that'll be spotted 100 miles away. But genuinely love people, and you will give them something they cannot find virtually anywhere else. Amen? By the way, when we worship, worship. I think there's nothing worse than somebody who's coming to church for the first time and while we're worshiping, they're looking around going, man, these people don't believe a word of what they're singing. That was, right? So Sunday morning, anything we do as the people of God, invite friends. Not, that, that, that's a zero commitment part on your part. All you gotta do is invite, right? Here's the third part. This week I signed a contract for us to buy, some, or to buy TV time. We are going to, starting 1st of March, be on the air twice a week. So uh, for 30 minutes on Sunday morning and then 30 minutes another time during the week, the message will be put on TV. That means that in the next week we will have some new video cameras. We're gonna, we're gonna do it professionally. You say, well, why would we do that? We'll do that because there are people who will never step foot in this building who still need to hear the gospel. And quite frankly, there's a lot of stuff out there that makes you feel good, but it's not the gospel. We're gonna add our voice to the multiple voices, and we're gonna let God bring people to that channel that need to hear it. Here's the best part, you wanna hear it? It doesn't cost us a dime. How cool is that? A non-church member approached me about two months ago and said, I have an idea. God told me to do this. I'm gonna buy TV time, and we're gonna put you on the air because people need to hear the gospel. In fact, that's where the idea for a 1,000 Souls came about. I was sitting and talking with this person. I said, so how much money are we gonna spend doing this? This was his answer. We will spend as much as it costs to win a 1,000 people to Jesus. I said, well, I think we can do that pony up here's something cool though a couple weeks ago we were finalizing the details and my friend told me he said listen I was I was thinking about this and I think we undershot it I said really what do you mean he goes what if a thousand's too small of a number what if God is looking for more like two million I said what's impossible with God with man is totally possible with God so that's our third, right? 100 souls telling, or 100 people telling one person a day, we're gonna invite people here to be a part of what God is doing. The third thing is we're gonna be on the air. That's, that's cast in a wider net, right? And the fourth thing is a really fun one. We're gonna do some events that are specifically geared towards introducing people to the people of God and to the gospel. We're starting with a dental bus, Right outside of this building on March 8th, we have a bus that will be here from Central Florida. That bus is a completely mobile dental unit. It has two complete dental unit setups in there. We went from a few weeks ago from having one dentist to now having four and a half days worth of dentists and associates, hygienists and everything. We've got everything we need for 72 people to be alleviated from the pain that is caused by dental work that needs to be done. 72, here's the best part, some of them are in this room. God is gonna provide for some of our own people, dental work, through this. That's good, ain't it? If you've ever had a toothache, you'll know that's real good. Here's the cool part, 72 people, they're gonna get dental work done but they're also going to have an opportunity to hear the greatest story ever told they're going to hear the gospel we're not going to make them trust christ in order to get dental work that's not the way it works although if you're really strategic you would have the dentist with the shot and you'd have the saw out so if you died tonight that's that's probably a little on the manipulative side we're not going to do that but what we are going to do is hey we want to we want to help you along the way can i tell you about jesus 72 people. That's over $30,000 worth of dental work at a small number, right? It's probably more like 50,000. So what you need, what we need is for you to take four hour shifts. Here's what, we have about seven people a day for those four and a half days that we need people to help. There's something for everyone that, 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 that we need volunteers for. We got need for nurses, we have need for people who will walk uh, uh, and, and be with them as they go from the green room to the, uh, to the dental bus. We have people who will do the intake, we need people to do the pre-registration, all that kind of stuff. Janice is right back here in the back. I want you to see her today and say, I can give you four hours, or I can give you two, four, or whatever, see her, we need to start doing this because we're gonna open enrollment this week. All right, and it's probably gonna fill up like that. So that's the dental bus. The day before Easter, we're gonna do an outreach right here at our campus, big Easter egg hunt. I'm shooting for 10,000 eggs. And so why are we gonna do this? Because you would be amazed at how many parents in Gulf Breeze are looking for an egg hunt the day before Easter. It blows my mind, but they are. So we're gonna do it as an opportunity to love on our community just a little bit. They're going to get some that candy. We're going to have some other things, some inflatables, things like that. Uh, we're going to need some volunteers for that. Easter, you can invite friends to come and hear the gospel. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do this Easter, but I promise you it will be driven towards the gospel 100%. And then uh, we'll, we'll do some other events throughout the year as God enables us to do it. The final thing, which is actually the first thing, which is, I le- which is why I left it for the end. Does that make sense? None of this works unless we pray. None of it. Throw your nets on the other side. That's what we're doing when we pray. Lord, where do we throw our nets? So I'm going to ask you to begin now praying. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, 37, 38, the scripture says, That the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest for the laborers. That's what I'm praying. My prayer before this morning was this. Lord, would you do it? Lord, would you do it? Would you glorify your name through salvations? So I'm going to ask you to start praying. And as you start praying, I'm going to ask you to ask God to use you. Now, there was this thing called a tent that we were supposed to do about a year ago. It was going to be on the corner right up here. And COVID shut it down. So I had the urging to start it again. So I started the process of going to the city and finding out if we can use the space. And the city is not authoring, uh, authorizing um, permits for anything at all for the city. Every single festival has been shut down which means we cannot get a permit for the tent. And I was really bummed about that this week. I was really just kind of irritated to be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not mad at the city, they're just doing what cities do, but I was frustrated because I'm saying, Lord, why? I mean, how come, and, and it was almost like the Lord said, hey, dummy, has <laughs> he ever say that to you? You have a parking lot, so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna set up our circus tent in our parking lot. Here's the tent, okay? It's a tent for us to come up throughout the week and pray and seek God's face. And our prayer is very simple. God, we need you in this city. That's our prayer. I'm gonna invite the entire city to come to this tent throughout the week and pray for God's mercy and his favor and for his movement. What would God do? by the way, I also for Easter morning tried to rent the high school stadium for our service and that didn't work out so well either because there's no permits, but that's still a, that's still a a hope. We're still, we're still hoping for that one. If not, we'll be right here. All right. Is that enough? Enough to get started. What are you going to do? I hope that you're not like emotionally moved right now. I really don't. I hope, hope that there's a firm, steadfast belief that we can do this because God has called us to do this. Well, how old do I have to be to be one of the hundred? You have to be breathing. That's it. I fully expect that our younger folks will put us adults to shame, in fact. I fully expect it. Right now, John is just itching. He's like, put me in, coach. Put me in. Good and the children shall lead them, right? Amen? Will you stand with me? I don't want to close today or any other Sunday without inviting you to receive Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of work so that none of us can boast. It has nothing to do with what we've earned or deserved. It has everything to do with the grace of God. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. Surrender to him. Say, Lord, I need you. I trust you. I repent of my sin and I turn to you even now and I ask you to save me. If you'll receive Jesus, he will make all things new. He will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Because that's what a father is like. This morning, if God is stirring in your heart, I'm just gonna ask you to deal with that right now where you are. I'm gonna ask you to commit to him whatever it is he's asking of you. I'm so excited I'm gonna explode. But tomorrow is gonna be Monday. And it's where the rubber meets the road. So I need you help me stay encouraged and you need each other to stay encouraged father uh, what is impossible with man is possible with God we we're asking for the ridiculous but such a small drop compared to the number of people who are separated from you now Oh God, that we would never be satisfied with just a thousand. But it's a start. Lord, I pray that you would mold us and shape us into the men and women that you have created us to be. Father, I pray that you would unify our hearts. At this point, God, the enemy will try to come in and divide and try to, try to make feelings that are hurt and do all kinds of stuff to disrupt what you are doing. But Father, we pray against that. And we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Everything that is made was made by him and through him and for him and in him. All things are held together. And so that is the one in whom we trust right now. Jesus is the name that is on our lips. Father, have your way, have your way.